Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. One of the most striking things I think about reading the Gospels is that travelling around with Jesus and his disciples, it seems like class was always in session. They'd run into someone or some situation and Jesus would use it as a teaching moment, just following quite naturally from the events of the day or the people they've met. Matthew 18, where today's um, parable comes from, the parable of the unforgiving servant, is much the same as that. The day was sparked by a row between the disciples, which if you translate it into modern terms, it was in the kingdom of God, who is going to get the corner office with the minibar and the um, spa pull off to the side. And Jesus counters them with the comment, and there must have been a little boy just wandering past, he said, actually, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to be like one of these. In other words, it's about humility. It's not about status or being the big man. And he develops that concept of how important it is to look after the least, not the greatest. And then pops in the story of the um, lost sheep, that I'll be talking about next week. Then he circles back to the disciples' disagreement and he talks about how they might settle, him, settle it without him to adjudicate. And it goes like this. If another member of the church or the gathering sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If a member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. He gives them this ABC of how to deal with difficult issues, how to be reconciled. You go see the person you have a beef with, as that person is doing now, and only then involve other people. By contrast, the most common approach I've discovered in church life is that people talk to their dozen best friends, looking for allies, and when they find a few, then they go talk to the person they have a problem with. The way that Jesus outlined takes courage to confront and then submit your sense of grievance to the judgment of others who may not agree with you. It requires vulnerability. Well, the disciples had not yet heard Jesus properly, but he knows he's not far from death, death on the cross. Shortly, they won't have him to guide them. It'll be time for them to operate together as a gathering, or as we would say, a church. I think 
in this sort of teaching, he's trying to prepare them for that moment. If you look carefully at these verses, it's obvious that he is not there to sort the challenge out for them. He's trying to equip them to do it for themselves. And I don't think they twigged to that at the time. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Or some versions, 70 times seven times. In other words, 490 times. Quite a lot. Now Peter's question here is often dismissed as Peter being a bit of a pedant, which is a bit tough on him. I think as the oldest disciple, he's probably seen a little bit more of life. And he's seen the damage that a repeat offender can do bouncing around a community. And if you think about the last few years, so have we. There has been a tolerance for abusive ministers in church. And the attitude has sort of been, well, well, he's confessed to what he's done here. Let's give him a new start in a new parish. He's forgiven, and we won't tell the new community anything because that would sort of queer the pitch. And so the stack of victims has added up and added up. And it's not just a Catholic issue. A church I used to um, attend, I was looking at their website last year, just about fell off my chair, on their website as a pastoral leader was a renowned abuser. Well, the rule in Judaism back in those days was you got three strikes. Based on a few things that God said in Job 33 about giving three chances. So Peter suggesting seven is actually pushing the boat out further than it had been and trying to maintain a relationship with someone. And Jesus, as he often did, responded with a story, and it's called the parable of the unforgiving servant. It goes like this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Really? And out of pity for him, the Lord of the slave, that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave as he went out, came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, maybe $10,000. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgiveness is interesting. Jesus, being Jesus, really took no notice of the question that he was asked. And he answered the question that he wanted to be asked. Someone like Winston Peters, who was particularly good at this, who, when accosted by a journalist, would say, Goodness me, that's not the question that honest, hard working Kiwis are asking at the moment. They want to know da 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 da, and the answer to that is da 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 da. I almost miss him. Maybe a word about what forgiveness is would be a good place to start, because I think it's been often misunderstood. Forgiveness does not mean that everything is now okay and can go back to how it was before. My friend Daphne Marsden did her thesis on domestic violence within the church, and that has been the standard response to victims. You must forgive you must return to him, you must submit to him, and if he beats you again, we will restart this process. Forgiveness is a precious gift. It should not be demanded or expected. Forgiveness may lead to reconciliation, and that's the ideal, and when it does, my experience is that the relationship that's been broken become, can become much deeper and much richer one of my closest friends. Our connection came out of a conversation with confession, forgiveness, and reconciliation. It was amazing. But it may not. You may have forgiven someone for something, but that does not necessarily make them a safe person to relate to or to be with. Ergo, the example of the battered wife. For all practical purposes that relationship may be over. A character in the book, The Shack, came out a few years ago and stirred the, the people of God up a bit. Define forgiveness as releasing the person to God and to his judgment. To forgive someone is to let the person go and just leave them to God and to give up my claim for justice from them. To truly forgive is to set yourself free and enable you to move on. When a horrendous crime is committed, sometimes you'll hear the victim's parents saying something like, I will never forgive the man that did this to my daughter. We understand that rage. If you had a kid, it's easy to relate to. But actually, that attitude does not really hurt the offender very much at all. It hurts us. They hang on to the rage and the pain with nowhere for it to go but inside. Bitterness takes root and they suffer. But it's pretty hard. I knew a guy whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. At the sentencing hearing, the man stood up to be sentenced and he winked at my friend before sentencing was passed. 
He was mocking the father of the girl that he had killed. My friend never got over it. He was never able to forgive. At the other extreme, you may remember a few years ago, there was a, someone was being robbed in a side street off Queen Street in Auckland and this lovely Christian bloke intervened to try to help that person and got stabbed for his troubles. Died. His wife was in the media the next day publicly forgiving his assailant. And I remember hearing this and thinking, no, too soon. Forgiveness is an emotional journey. And it might be quick if the person acknowledges their fault, but usually it takes a good while. It needs to be handled with care, never demanded. And I loved your story, Ange, and want to say be gentle with yourself. Well, the unforgiving servant in this story is interesting as well. He's been forgiven a debt owed of an indescribable amount that could never possibly be repaid. His asking the king for more time to repay it was utter nonsense. And I think they both would have known that. The king was angry. Hence his initial plan to sell the servant and his family into slavery. The money received from those sales would have been a drop in a bucket against what was owed. But the king might have felt better knowing that this man was suffering. But it turned out that the king had a soft heart. And he responded to his servant's misery and he forgave the debt. Wow! He forgave it. Billions of dollars. How would that have been for the servant? How would that have felt? And I imagine this guy stooped over, sort of walking around, waiting for the axe to fall, knowing that he's got this debt that he cannot possibly repay. And the stress must have been massive. The fear for what might happen to his family and knowing that the situation was truly hopeless. Selling all the bagpipes in Scotland would not have raised as much money. <laughs> he must have been walking on air as he left the king's presence. He's been forgiven this massive debt, life in some form for he and his family is going to continue the sheer joy and the elation of the moment, the overwhelming sense of relief. No. No, that was not his story. From what happened afterwards, we know that for sure. Because he went out and he found this guy who owed him a few thousand dollars and grabbed him by the neck Give me my money back. And the man pleaded for time so that he could repay what was, after all, not a king's ransom. Did the king's servant give him that time? No. Rather, he had him thrown into prison until the debt was repaid. Now, his friends or family could have repaid the debt on his behalf, or he could be hired out to earn money by the prison, but if that failed, he would be sold into slavery. on earth is going on here? Given the magnitude of what he'd been forgiven, why did he behave so harshly towards his, his debtor? After all, that debt was a fraction of 1% of what he had just been forgiven. 
Jesus being Jesus sets up an extreme contrast. We'll see this next week with the 99 found sheep and the one lost. I think that the unforgiving servant perceived what he had received as a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. So it was not this life-changing encounter with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I imagine he felt deep shame being in the position of owing the king a fortune and his powerlessness probably bit really deep within him. He was a proud man, not a repentant man. Accepting someone's forgiveness, if you've experienced it, you'll know this, is a very humbling thing to do. Now the king's act of grace and forgiveness towards a servant reveals the underlying state of the servant's heart. And it's a hard heart. He was humiliated by being forgiven. So what does he do? Well, he goes and looks for someone and he can take out those feelings on. And he finds the man who owes him 10 grand. This man he has power over and he used it ruthlessly to appease his own crushed ego so he could feel powerful again. Well, we believers in Jesus have been forgiven much. We've been forgiven hugely. Our sins have been wiped away and as the psalmist said, put as far as the east is from the west. If we truly appreciate the magnitude of what God has done for us, then we will be forever changed for the better. Mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated. Now there's an ironic little equation in the scripture based on Romans 6. And it goes like this. If the worst of a sinner I think I am, if that's how bad a sinner I am, then the grace of God that I need to be forgiven and put on the road of salvation is that much. But if I don't think I'm all that bad, really, then I don't need so much grace and salvation and mercy. Yeah? Nah. The unforgiving servant did not understand the magnitude of his debt and his responsibility for it. So he didn't get the vastness of the forgiveness that he was being blessed with. We can be like that too. We might not have one of those life stories of crime, drugs and truly hitting bottom. We might have been pretty good citizens all of our lives. We might have grown up in a very Christian world. I recall talking with someone after church one day, a service in which we'd sung Amazing Grace. He said to me, you know, I'm not a wretch. Yeah, yeah, actually. And if you don't get that at some sort of profound heart level, your faith is in some trouble. We are all utterly sinful to the extent that even our best thought, our best deed, our best whatever is somewhat tainted by sin. We are like the fish who swim in a lake that was once polluted. Looks much better when it's been cleaned up, doesn't it? 
However, there will always be traces of those pollutants in us. We will never be utterly pure or utterly good this side of the grave. And the typical sins of good Christian people include pride, gossip, self-righteousness, smugness. We can be right Pharisees on a bad day, more concerned with foul language or smoking than poverty or social exploitation. We may labour under the delusion that we are really not that bad, like that unforgiving servant. For the Jesus follower, though, forgiveness, or at least the desire to forgive, is a fundamental bearing in our lives. Mercy experience will produce merit mercy demonstrated. It will flow out of us. If it doesn't, or we find ourselves hung up on the rules, and it was interesting for me that both Doug and Ra in their stories through January talked about that rule-based faith that they encountered. If we are hung up on the rules, then we may have inadvertently swallowed the lie that we are not truly that bad. Can I gently challenge, no burn money today, can't afford it, Let's walk together knowing that we have been forgiven a debt that we could never possibly have been repaid. It's a foundational truth. And let's commit to being a person who look to forgive each other and those who wrong us. Not to say that's a difficult road because it really can be, but to look to that. Amen.